Good morning, Resurrection Presbyterian Church and anyone else who may be joining with us. This is Jared Bryant, the pastor of Resurrection. And if you are new to joining us on these messages, we are currently in a new series. And what all of these messages are grounded in is really a firm conviction that God is at work for good in the midst of a strange and difficult time. And there are many different aspects of this work that we could highlight, but what we want to focus on during this time is really the more personal work, that is the inner or heart work that God is doing in us. And the image that we've been considering during this time together is that of cultivating a garden. So to cultivate something is really to help make it grow. It involves tilling and planting and watering and protecting. And there are many parallels for what the cultivation of our own hearts looks like. And so today I want us to consider the basic question really of what is it that we are trying to produce so as I mentioned before, I have this garden in my backyard, or at least what used to be a garden, and two weeks ago, I spent an afternoon tilling it up, which involved uh, labor to break up this hardened ground in order to make it soft for good growth to happen, and helping nutrients to get deeper into the soil, and preparing the way for good seed to take root and bear fruit. Now, it's only been two weeks, but I'm already seeing some growth happen. So what I'm seeing is I'm seeing small weeds pop up everywhere in this newly tilled garden. Now, while I do want to see growth happening, that is not what I want to see growing. That, that's not the, the fruit that I hoped or envisioned to produce. That's not why I started this work of recreating this garden. And we're, we can see something very similar in our own lives, whereas just like with this garden, there, there are things that are growing in our lives that we don't want to see there. And just like this garden, there are things that are not growing in our lives that we do want to see there. And so it brings up this question, what exactly do we want to see grow and, and what kind of growth do we not want to see? What kind of fruit do we hope this garden in our lives produces? So late this past week, really just a few days ago, my grandmother passed away. And the death of a loved one is never easy, and there's always grief that comes with it. And there are many different emotions that we feel when we experience something like this. And one of them is a heightened sense of what you might say the seriousness and shortness of life is. And so for me, right now, uh, having said goodbye to someone that I deeply care about, the, the question of whether we're going to have college football in the fall is really not nearly as important as it was two weeks ago. And it's interesting, when faced with our own mortality, we tend to ask the question more clearly of what, what really matters. When, when we look back at the end of our lives, at the end of our days, which are numbered, what kind of fruit do we hope to see? And if, I, if I'm going to have a good garden or even a good life, 
then these are critical questions that I've got to answer and that we have to consider together because it's going to shape how we care for the garden. And, and to help us think through this question of fruit, I want us to consider these words of Jesus from the 15th chapter of the gospel according to John. And these words really are a part of a longer conversation that Jesus is having with his closest disciples. So he has just done something completely unexpected. Uh, this is also, this is just hours before he is to be arrested and taken before the leaders and tried as a criminal. And he does something surprising for his disciples. He, he takes the role of a lowest servant he gets low to the ground and he washes the feet of all of his disciples. And then he shares a final message with them about how they are to live after he's gone. And the passage we're looking at here is a significant part of what he wants them and us to understand and to live out. And so starting in verse eight, he says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Now, there is so much more here than we will be able to cover, but I want to focus on these two questions. And the first is, what is the fruit that Jesus is after in our lives? And the second question is, how do we get it? So first, what is the fruit that Jesus is after? So in my garden, you could say, I'm the brains behind the operation. So I'm the one with the vision, the one doing the planning. And that doesn't mean that I know what I'm doing. It just means that this garden is depending upon me to do something. In our, in our lives, Jesus is the brains behind the operation. He is the one with the vision. He is the one doing the planning. He is the one with the chief desire that our lives become a fruitful place that's protected from threats and that is flourishing with life. It is his passion. And because he knows better than us, the question is not as much what kind of fruit are we after, but what kind of fruit is he after? And in our passage, we see two specific kinds of fruit. And the first is joy. So look at verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So don't miss the surprising 
beauty of what Jesus is saying here, his his mission, his coming from the Father, empowered by the Spirit, is to bring us joy. He's not come to bring us into this fearful submission that we might live like slaves. His message is not obey or else, but we were made for joy. We lost it. We're trying to find it in all sorts of other places, but God himself is bringing us back to the source of our joy. That is the only sustaining source that can bring us this full joy that he talks about is really God himself. So that's the first fruit that Jesus is concerned about producing in us, this fullness of joy, which makes us ask this question when we look at the garden of our own lives, do we see this kind of joy? I'm not talking about just a happiness at life that that comes because things are going well. But the joy that Jesus is talking about is this deep foundation of gladness because of who his father is and what has been done for us. So that, that's the first fruit that Jesus is after. And the second fruit that, that Jesus desires to see brought in us is love. So look at verses 12 and 17. Jesus is clear. He says, basically, this is my command that you love one another. And I love how author and poet Wendell Berry expresses the heart of what Jesus is after when, when Berry says, do unto those downstream as you would have those upstream do unto you. So if you live on a river and if you live downstream from someone, whatever is thrown in the stream ahead of you is going to come your way. So if upstream toxic chemicals are being dumped, those are going to come your way and affect you. Or upstream, if they decide to dam up the river, you are going to be cut off from your source of water and your source of life. And Jesus is saying, I want you to consider those downstream from you. So for those living downstream from you in your own life, what are, what are others getting from you? What are you putting into this river that flows to others? Those living downstream from you, are, are they experiencing love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These, these fruits of the Spirit that Paul talked about in his letter to the Galatians. Or downstream from us are, are people experiencing bitterness, anger, judgment, indifference, jealousy, arrogance, harshness. Are, are these the things that are being dumped downstream. Uh, love and joy, genuine and abundant and lasting, is what Jesus is after in our lives, what he desires to be sent downstream. And because he knows better, and he is actually more concerned with our good than we are, this vision for a fruitful life is what should guide us and what we are after in our own lives. And this brings us to our second question. So if this is the kind of fruit that Jesus is after, then how do we get it? How can we produce this kind of fruit? And the key is found in verse nine. And think of this as the soil, uh, really the only soil 
that, that this fruit of love and joy can grow in. Jesus says this in verse nine, he says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. So Jesus has just told us how we should treat those downstream from us. And now he tells us to look upstream, to see what has come downriver to us. And what we see is really shocking. And it's so shocking that I, I, don't, think, I don't think we really get it, the, the radical nature of what Jesus is saying. He says, as the Father has loved me. Now, this part makes sense. We can understand how the Father loves Jesus and how the Father takes delight in him and can say, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. That makes sense to us. The Father has loved the Son in a rich and powerful way, with an eternal bond, something greater than we have ever experienced in our own relationships. But then Jesus turns and says, as the Father has loved me, it's with that same kind of love that I have loved you. And, and just like that, Jesus has brought us into a place where we don't belong. We are ushered in and drawn in and brought in into the inner love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. We are brought into this inner circle and told, you belong here. You have a place You're here because we love you and we want you to participate and share in the love that we have for one another. And we are not here on our own initiative or on our own merit or goodness. Verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should last. And then in verses 14 and 15, he notice what he calls us. He says, you're my friends. Every one of us knows what it's like to feel on the outside of relationships, to feel like you don't belong. What Jesus does is he takes us and he brings us into this inner circle and he looks at the relationship between he and his father and he says, you belong here with us and we will love you like we love each other. But, but here's, here's the kicker. Being brought back into this circle would come at a great cost. Our our being brought into this place of close fellowship came with a price, but it was a price that Jesus was willing to pay. Verse 13, we see this. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, it wasn't just that Jesus was friends with them or that he even washed their feet but it was that he gave his life for them and for us. That is what the cross is all about. And his his disciple, John, who's the author of this gospel, would later say in another letter, he'd say, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sins. And so go back to the fruit of our lives. So the only way that our lives will produce lasting fruit that matters, that really means something, that makes a difference in this world, this lasting fruit of radical self-giving love, of, of joy that endures through the darkest of days, the only way our lives produce that kind of fruit is by being grounded in this good news, 
by finding our life in this Savior. Or in the words of Jesus in verse 9, by abiding or remaining in my love. And so as we continue walking through this, this strange and challenging time together, my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would be a people who not only survive through this time, but who thrive, who produce meaningful fruit that lasts, all because we are abiding in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.